DeWitt Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited today because we are in the 16th week of the fall semester at Heartland Community College, and we are taking finals. Thus, we are at the end, and we have a lovely lady that is bringing up the rear. Last but certainly not least, what we are going to do is we're going to kind of continue from the episode of last week where we were studying juvenile justice because it is on their Final. So without any further ado, I present to some and introduce to others, Miss Brooklyn Phelan. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Brooklyn. Thank you for having me. All right. The title of today's show is Parents Patria. That's how I pronounce it anyway, wow. Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a term that we inherited from the British. I should note that Brooklyn was scheduled to appear with two other students, but they both dropped the course. Why anybody would want to drop Mr. Bingham's class, I'll never know. He will never know. Okay. I mean, <laughs> first of all, Heartland did give me two extra students so that the audience knows our limit at Heartland Community College is 30. That's the maximum amount of students that we're supposed to have. But I think I got assigned like 32, but I ended up with like 25 students. So we're not going to hold diversity in thought against Brooklyn because she doesn't have a partner. Again, the title of today's episode is Parents Patriot. So let's get right into it, Brooklyn. Segment one is for the educational occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would. Tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your major or planned major, why you enrolled in the class, and give us one career goal. Awesome. Um, like Mr. Bingham said, my name is Brooklyn Beeland. I was born and raised in Hayworth, Illinois, which is about 30 minutes outside of Heartland. Oh, no, you're not a Hayworth Hornet. Oh. Yes, I am. Oh, my goodness. I love <laughs> Hayworth Hornets. Because I always I tell my students, it reminds me of Crystal City Hornets. Yeah. Same mascot, same colors, the whole <laughs> nine yards. Oh, okay. I know. sorry, Brooklyn, go ahead. 
No, it's okay. We're not original. So that is a okay with me. I attended Hayworth High School, which is in Hayworth. And from there, I have continued my academic journey to Heartland. I mean, they granted me a scholarship. I was like, I might as well go. Like, why not? Some free college. My current major is criminal justice, which is why I took the class. I've always been interested in it. But my future plans are to switch my major to social work. So I'm narrowing it down a little bit further um, and to give a helping hand to those in need. And my ultimate career goal in the end is to own and run my own nonprofit shelter for women and children. So wonderful. Oh, my goodness. That is awesome, Brooklyn. And I know that not only are you taking my class, but you also are taking Professor Dow's social work course, correct? Yes, I am. Just a wonderful instructor, longtime friend, very, very active in the community. And I actually really enjoyed coming to his class where I actually got to meet you face to face. Because yeah. one thing about having online courses is that we don't get to see you guys. Yeah. And, and, and so when I go to Professor Dow's course and I see students that are in his social work class that are also in my class, it's wonderful that I actually get to see your lovely face. All right. Great. That is uh, awesome. Uh, sounds like you have a great plan of action for your future. All right. Moving on. Segment two, constitutional rights. Segment two is to inform the American public of their constitutional rights. But before we ask you, to tell us what your favorite constitutional right is and why, let's remind the audience that today's episode is entitled Parents Patriot. So the first question that I want to ask our lovely guest on today is to define Parents Patriot for us. Well, for me, specifically because you said in my own words. That's correct. Um, is the role the government takes on to protect and serve its citizens, especially when they cannot do so. Wonderful. Yes. That term basically, Brooklyn summed it up, the adults in the room, because we know that everybody that is of age don't always act and behave as an adult. <laughs> okay? Yes, that so, is true. So you are exactly right. The term means that they, the adults and the government knows what's in the best interest of young people. And we know that the research says that Young people who are under the age of 25 are still mentally and emotionally developing. And so you still are developing mentally, and emotionally. We know you are very articulate, very <laughs> smart. OK, but you can take stock in the fact that you still are developing. And as awesome as you are right now, you <laughs> still got room to grow. So plenty of it. OK. All right. Very good. That's the type of attitude that I love. All right. Next, I would like for you to tell me where was the first juvenile court established? Right here in Illinois, actually, um, you know, up in Cook County. That's where it all started. So wonderful. Yes. And what I'd like to say to the audience is that Illinois, the state of Illinois has been forerunners in many ways in regard to the criminal justice system. And establishing the first juvenile court is one of the things that the state did. Tell me, in your own words, what the aim of the court was. To divert youthful offenders, rehabilitation, get them off of the streets, get them out of there. They do not need to be on the streets doing whatever in the world they're doing. They need to be rehabilitated, which is 
very progressive considering that the main aim of adult court was punishment for a very long time. So it was pretty progressive from coming from Illinois. So wonderful. Yeah. And when we talk about diverting young people, we're talking about doing something that is going to bring about a change without having to lock them up. Right. Yeah. All right. Very good. And then finally, in your own words, I should let the audience know this is kind of a comprehensive question for Brooklyn on today. Again, we are at the end of the semester and she'll be taking her final pretty soon here. But in your own words, define the juvenile justice process. Yeah. So it's a little bit different than like the adult court or the adult um, process. The way I see it, there's about nine steps in the juvenile process. The first would be the committing of the crime. I mean, obviously that's where everything starts, followed by the arrest or the persecution of some sort. Um, From there, the second step would be the referral to court. Typically, this would come from like being arrested and come from a police officer. But I mean, it doesn't have to. Parents and guardians can refer to court if they're having problems with their children at home. But yeah, after this, the third step is intake. That's where the case is reviewed for the court, diverted to avoid court or possibly dismissed, of course. And then from there, um, the youth accused of serious crimes are transferred to adult court if necessary. Not always. Typically, they try to avoid that, but not always. Um, Step number five would be detention, where the offender is to either remain in the facility until their court date or be allowed to go home. Um, After that, the court case would proceed. The offender may be found guilty, innocent, or the charges are possibly dismissed. And plea charges would also be given here. Step seven would be sentencing. And then step eight is the juvenile corrections part. Typically, a youth would be put on probation or sent to residential placement. And then the last step is aftercare, where the youth is supervised as they are put back into the community. Wonderful response. Oh, my goodness. I had audience. I had no idea that she was (laughs) going to have a nine step process for me. Oh, my goodness. I've been teaching, studying and instructing this for 28 years. And I right now could not give you a nine step process. That's awesome, (laughs) Brooklyn. Wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, I'm so interested in criminal justice. I took criminal justice for half of my high school career. Like this is this is my jam. This is like where (laughs) I where I know this is my knowledge. (laughs) I like that expression. This is your jam. Okay. So now having said all that, what is Brooklyn's favorite constitutional right? Well, if we're talking about all the constitutional rights, this is not technically the most popular answer, but mine is number 10. This is my favorite because without it, there would be no other constitutional laws. Um, The government would obviously have more power because it's giving power to the states, especially considering every state is different and they need their own set of laws to live by. If we're talking about due process laws, I would say eight, but overall mine would be 10. Wonderful. All right. Last question in this segment. (laughs) Is there anyone above the law or should there be anyone above the law? I don't know. That is such a hard question to ask. I read that question and I was like, oh, wow, he's really getting into it, huh? (laughs) I wouldn't say that anybody is necessarily above the law. I think there are good reasons that the law can be broken such as if you're stealing food because you're hungry or like murder in the case that you're endangered or your life was threatened. But I, don't, I wouldn't consider anybody technically above the law. OK, very good. Moving on. Segment three, being a voice for change. As an emerging adult, 
who grew up in a predominantly white America, what say Brooklyn about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? Well, growing up in a town in the middle of nowhere with a lot of white people, definitely there was there was some white supremacy that was rooted in the town that I grew up in. I mean, black children in school were very far and few between. I've seen my fair share of white supremacists. I've seen probably at all when it comes to white supremacy. I've heard just about every slur under the sun, which is not something that I not something that I like. I mean, it bothered me growing up because I was always confused. I I don't understand why people have to hate for no reason other than something that people can't control, which that's just the way I was I was brought up. But I don't know. It always bugged me when I was growing up. But in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole, for me, it was incredible to see. It was something that you see in history books. And I'm such a history buff. Getting to watch it all in person was beautiful to watch it blossom from this little movement to something that is taking the nation by storm and being able to put black voices at the front was so crucial for America. And even though we're still working on it, I think that it was beautiful to see. And I am enjoying watching it continue as it still grows and evolves from that 2020 spot where it started. Wonderful. I ask everybody that comes on the show, if there was one thing that you would like to ask the president of the United States or like to see his administration accomplish, what would that be? For me, I have two things that are about equally tied. The first one would be focusing more on the environment. I mean, they set these goals and we're a little bit below these goals, but even besides achieving goals, they have introduced lots of like big projects like, for example, the Willow Project that are so harmful to the environment that it's kind of contradicting. They said they wanted to do versus what they're actually doing. And they're kind of trying to keep it a little hush hush. And there's so many like people that are like bringing it to light because it definitely is something that I'm a little like, yeah, we maybe shouldn't be doing that. But um, another thing would be a bipartisan government. I mean, like Biden promised a like unifying Congress and unifying the government. And so far, I feel like it's gotten worse than where it started whenever he became president. So I wish that he would focus a little bit more on trying to get the two parties to come together and to start agreeing instead of how split down the middle, like one side or the other, they really are right now. All right. Very good. Should a convicted felon be allowed to be president of the United States? This one is also really hard for me. It depends on the crime. I mean, obviously, if it's a very harmful crime and how about how about an insurrection? I would not say so. No. I mean, if you think about it, that's a form of treason. And that's the one crime that is laid out in the Constitution. And so it's like if you're going against the Constitution like that and that's supposed to be like your governing piece of work. Not so much. Okay. All right. Should a convicted felon be allowed to vote? I do think so. I feel like that's your right as an American citizen. And you're still an American citizen when you're a convicted felon, especially when you're in prison or jail. That's when those policies affect you most, because you're the one on the other side of the criminal justice movement and the criminal justice like systems in America So I definitely think they should be allowed to, because if you also think about it, 
like people are putting laws in place that are making more people convicted felons. So that way they can't vote. And that's wrong in practice. So I definitely think like as an American citizen, if you are living here, if you are like actively being a citizen, that's your one constitutional right that you absolutely deserve. Awesome. Final question. Should marijuana, first of all, marijuana is legalized in the state of Illinois. Should it be legalized at the federal level? I think it should be. There's a lot of precautions that they have to take, especially to make sure that it doesn't end up in the wrong hands of people. But I think that is a huge market that they have not tapped into. Because if you think about it, like a lot of money comes from marijuana sales and dispensaries and whatnot. And I feel like that's an untapped market that they could absolutely make so much money off of. Okay. And what would they do with what are they supposed to do with the money? I mean, we're in so much debt. It's not even funny. There's debts. There's lots of different sectors of the government that deserve more money than what they're getting right now. So diverting that money accordingly, I think, would be a good move. Awesome. Brooklyn, thank you for taking my class this (laughs) semester. You are just a joy. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Parents Patriot defined where the first juvenile court was established, important constitutional rights, and how to make America a better place to live. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed.